Welcome to Communication On Point Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. This program is designed to bring insights to leaders like you to grow your influence and improve your ability to communicate and connect with more people. To do that, not only do I share my perspective on things that can help you grow things that I've seen make a difference, but also I'll bring in the voice of experts from many different disciplines. Today is no exception. We've got Vince Pacenti joining us. Vince is an Olympic speed skier and best-selling author, a leader of mountain expeditions, speaks to audiences across North America, bringing insights on improving safety. So you think about that. The experiences that he's had skiing at 135 miles an hour or climbing Himalayan mountains focuses the mind and brings perspective on how do we improve safety in our world. So whether you're leading a construction company or even a IT company, there's elements of safety that we have to think about in how we lead and how we communicate. In our conversation today, I think you're going to find some insights that you can apply to whatever situation you find yourself in. I'm looking forward to sharing our conversation together. Let's get started. Vince Pacenti, welcome to Communication on Point. Excited to have you. And today we're going to talk about safety. And you know, our audience is all about improving their leadership through improving communication. And I'm excited to get some lessons that you've gained in your experiences, not only as an Olympic speed skier and a mountaineer, but the work that you've done with companies all over the world about improving safety. One of your companies is... Radical safety. And when I hear that word, I'd like to just start there. I hear radical safety. It seems like kind of an oxymoron. Give us some insight about safety and what you see and what's radical about it. Well, let's just start with the word radical. It's the antonym to conventional. And as I, every entrepreneur has the same experience, right? You kind of go, gosh, there's this need in the marketplace and I think I can help that need. And the biggest need I've noticed in the safety space is there's a lot of conventional thinking around safety protocol, checklists, OSHA regulations. And as safety leaders, very well-intentioned, of course, they want to save lives. They want to reduce incident rates, which will impact the bottom line and also help that person that didn't get injured. You know, all those good reasons. But the point is when there's conventional efforts, there's conventional results. And so we want better results in terms of the safety space. And with the antonym to conventional being radical, I started to realize the approach that I have as an Olympic athlete, for example, you know, I've skied at 135 miles an hour. I might not be the first person you'd come to (laughs) for advice on how to be safe. Or have climbed mountains in the Himalayas, right? You know, you're going in rarefied air. Would you want to talk to a guy that takes that kind of risk? And in both settings, safety is the minimum expectation. Zero incident is the minimum expectation we have. And in the safety space, what I'm noticing prevalent is almost a comical association to uh, in zero incident you say, Oh no, no. All oh, right. We can never get to zero incident. People are always going to make mistakes. Uh, you, goodness. And so maybe that's a radical approach of saying, you know, there, there is a better way. And so 
to give that kind of insight is where I'm headed with this and, and make it in, a, in an entertaining, fun, and uh, motivational way as well. I'm on a mission. <laughs> well, it's, it's important to have a mission. And, you know, I think you, you mentioned fun. <laughs> Learning right. about safety and improving our safety doesn't mean it has to be boring, right? No, no, it just doesn't. Uh, I, I just interviewed a, a, a lady named Brenda DeBerry, and she is with Scientific Drilling. And she puts on their safety workshops, right? Uh, she was wanting to do distracted driving. There are a lot of boring ways to get people to stop distracted driving. And bless their hearts, those engineers out there, <laughs> you know, engineers want, they're very left brain. They're very much about what's the data and want to be able to, where's the data? Give me the data. And she knew in order to do this safety program on distracted driving, she put them in a circle and she had them put four chairs all side by each. So there are two chairs up front, two chairs in the back. And they were going to pretend that one of them is driving. The other one to the, the right was gonna to pretend to be the directional instructions, turn right, turn left or whatever. The other one was gonna be a radio singing away and another one was gonna be a kid singing, are we there yet? I gotta to go to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> so all four, and then in the audience, she had one guy holding up signs saying, do this. She put his, uh, the driver's cell phone on the board so that people would text him uh, instructions while he's driving and in a 30 second window, she also had two guys with Nerf guns. <laughs> she had them shooting the driver with Nerf guns, all right? So you can imagine how much fun that was, you know? And this is the critical piece that I might say right out of the shoot. And this has worked with for two, over two decades as I worked with sales audiences and leadership audiences. When you give somebody an experience, they never forget an experience. And what if you Velcroed content to that experience? What if your audience had such a visceral experience from the story you're sharing? You know, this recreational skier to Olympian in four years, man, I was doing all sorts of them in a pink rubber suit. You go zero to 60 miles an hour in three seconds. You're up to 125 miles an hour in eight seconds. You want to be in a tight aerodynamic tuck as quickly as you possibly can. I just gave you kind of an experience of what it's like to speed ski. And what if I attached content to that? And so Brenda did this. She did this with this distracted driving. And they A, they'll never forget that. And B, now they have internalized their relationship to distracted driving other than what is conventional in the safety space, which is a sign, you know, don't text and drive. I mean, that's conventional wisdom. Put up a sign and people will read the sign and then they'll change. You don't have behavioral change unless somebody has an, a, a relationship to it, an emotional connection to it, uh, an experience attached to it. And that's what radical safety is. And that is what is essential to get these messages across that uh, will really reduce incident rates and save lives in the, in the interim. There's a big responsibility that a leader has, a safety leader, a team leader, anybody that even if your business isn't a high risk business where there's lots of injury risk or things like that, there's always a safety element. What are some of the things that as a leader I should be thinking about that can increase the odds that people are going to hear what I'm trying to convey, right? I think about the concept of, I know what I said, but I don't know what you heard. How do I communicate in a way that's going to increase the stickiness of the message? 
Well, there are three ways. Uh, the first way is that you give the message that's experiential in nature, that the leader has this messaging that is something that they speak from the heart. Uh, the second way is you bring in an outside perspective for somebody like you or I, or, or another uh, thought leader in, the, in this space to be able to echo what they're trying to say. Uh, the reason that works is if you've ever raised teenagers, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't listen to their mom and dad. But if a sports hero says the same thing, they go, well, that's a good idea. Why don't I you know, do that? So hearing that outside perspective. And third is to be able to augment the, the you can take a bucket of content and dump it on people's heads, but it isn't until you have this content that has a relationship to it, which is what I call the emotional buzz, that your messaging have an emotional quotient attached to it. Uh, we have a client uh, that uh, was doing, laying some um, pipe in uh, Colombia, and it was there in the oil industry, and they had a heck of a time. In fact, there were deaths uh, in uh, the laying of the pipe. They were losing workers, and uh, they did everything they could think of. And then they decided that they would approach it from um, the family side. And they went to the spouses. Now, this is a very patriarchal culture down there. So typically, it was a, a, a man doing the work and a woman at home with the kids. And they did a campaign with all the, the moms, all the wives, and said, do you want your breadwinner to come home? Because we've got an idea <laughs> that you can help in the messaging of all this. And sure enough, this emotional connection, their family and their life, then they had a, a drastic drop in incident rates. And the deaths went to zero by making that emotional buzz connection to what they were doing. So yeah, those three ways are really the, the, the options for a leader and uh, I'd say really the one that's most prevalent is just the leader standing up there saying, hey, this is where we're going. There's uh, very little outreach going around. And I'm hearing this over and over again. They just wish that the, um, the leaders would come to the safety workshops. They, they wish that the, safety, the leaders would come to the safety programs and just, just show up, just be there to show that you care, right? Right. Because there's, there's this notion that leadership is about telling people where to go. <laughs> Who loves to be told where to go? Yeah, you know? yeah so. nobody, right? So it's easy, I'm sure, for leaders who have a thousand things in their checklist right. to say, okay, one of the things we got to do is we got to make sure we got the safety certification completed and let's send them to safety training and then we can check the box and then we can move on to business. What you're saying is it's got to be integrated. It isn't, the goal isn't to get people certified the goal is to create safety. Is that right? In a way. Now, I will say this. My business model is actually pretty well misunderstood because I'm not saying, let me parachute in and take over as a commando would. No, I want us to augment what you're currently doing. I want us to, and I've seen this with the single best safety delivery programs on the planet. And they're, they're doing it conventionally as well. They're saying, okay, as we exit out, now we're recording this as we exit out of the pandemic and re-entry is a word that you're hearing more and more. And the re-entry is happening from a checklist standpoint. Okay, here's the checklist of things you need to do. And until you augment that with 
where are you at emotionally and mentally? Now, you, you get a room full of blue collar guys on the rig and you say, hey, where are you at emotionally? There'll be a lot of, <laughs> there'll be a lot of eye rolling and saying, all right, there, Oprah. <laughs> Tell me what else you got, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's augmenting the programs that you do is setting the tone in order for those safety training programs uh, one speaker put it well this way, uh, gosh, Nito Cobain, I think, told me this. He said, would you rather have se uh, sex uh, education or sex training for your child, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's obviously you want to go to the education piece when you're talking about that kind of thing, you know, to be able to have somebody go, well, who likes to be trained to do something versus to be educated, which is to internalize this information that's where you start. And so when Radical Safety was created, we really wanted to be able to augment programs from a licensing standpoint, from uh, here are things that you can institute, especially up front, to set the tone and the constructs of three things. When you entertain, educate, and motivate, then you're having all those three things at the same time. I think about this for a second. How, many, how much safety protocol involves those three things of entertaining, educational, and motivational? Most of them are just educational, and most of them are a bucket of content, dump it on their heads and say, okay, did it stick? Check the box. Okay, get it back out there and go, go be safe. You know, right. that, that's, that's asking a lot from a very small part of the brain, which is going to try and register information and internalize it. Yeah, man. You want long-term change? when people make it their own idea, that it's instinctive, it's not even part of it, as an athlete would. An athlete doesn't think about, all right, do I need to be safe in this situation? That's just, that's the minimum expectation. And from there you can expand with peak performance. So think of it this way. Do you want behavioral change or do you want your people to perform at the highest level, right? And clearly perform at the highest level. But what's every initiative in the safety space doing? All of it is about behavioral change. With the assumption that that's going to turn into results. It's an assumption, but, yeah. But, yeah. But a lot of times we're not even getting to the behavioral change. We're only getting to dumping information on them. The best metaphor you can think of is it's pushing a rope versus pulling a rope, right? If you want a rope to go in a direction and you try and push a safety initiative... <laughs> right? If you want to try to push the rope, well, what if the, you pulled the rope, everything would just fall into, it would be easier. Everything would be easier. Nothing would be out of place. It would be so second nature. And that is what the pull orientation around performance is versus the push of behavioral change. So I want to make sure I have those three. You said, you know, we can deliver it from the heart of the leader. So they're giving their message. Maybe it's a personal experience or something they're seeing or the, the why or whatever that is from that leader's message. That's one element. The other is bringing somebody in that brings credibility and perspective. That to echoes the, the message, yeah. So people listen to outside experts more than people that they see on a daily basis. And then the third is connecting it to that uh, emotional buzz, you called it. Something that has some sort of emotional leverage. You mentioned they had success connecting the spouses. So yeah. kind of. Let's revisit the first two. Can I, may I interrupt? Yeah, please. Sorry. Uh, the first one, uh, speaking from the heart, this is, I spoke to one of the world's largest hotel operators, right? They invited 1,800 of their hotel managers, the top 
leaders and they had them all in the same room. And the initiative with this hotel chain was this is the year we're going to be spontaneous. This is the year that we're going to put our people in control of the outcomes, making sure that they can react real time, that they are spontaneous in nature. And in the conference, in front of 1,800 of these leaders, <laughs> their leaders, now we were talking about them speaking from the heart and all that, <laughs> they were saying, they were doing this, they were reading a teleprompter. What we would ask all of our people to do is to think and be spontaneous to make sure that you are thinking in real time and reacting to our guest needs in real time. <laughs> Way to model it. And I was, yeah. And I was sitting at the back going, am I the only one seeing the, the paradox here? You know? Oh my God. So vulnerability, gosh, you talk about safety leadership and all that. And they say, that's the last thing I would want to be is vulnerable and all that. Authenticity is such a powerful place to come from that if you think of people you're most connected to just in life, are the, the people that are doing authenticity or being authentic, right? <laughs> and obviously being authentic, if, you're not, if they're not connecting with you as a leader, the authenticity piece is, uh, is missing. And, or it can be improved, you know, and the vulnerability piece. And sometimes that does take coaching. Sometimes, and I've coached leaders on this. And it's, it could take weeks because there's this fear that they don't want to be weak. Or they don't want to, well, you know, we can talk at length about all that. What was the second one that we talked about? Oh, the outside perspective. This is a quick story about John Gray. Uh, he wrote a book, New York Times bestseller. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And okay, let's not talk about the content of his book. Let's just talk about his experience when his father had been carjacked and had died, and he and his brother went to the funeral in East Texas. Now, this was in the summer months. His dad had been carjacked, put it in the trunk, and died of heat exhaustion. It was a, it was a BMW, and this was, I think, in the 80s or so. And... John and his brother went out to the impound lot to see the car. Like he, they were just trying to process. They just lost their dad. It was sudden. It was traumatic. It was tragic. And they went to the actual car and the trunk was open. And John, who's not a very big guy, said, I want to get into the, into the trunk of the car and see what dad went through. And so in the August heat of East Texas, and it's just pistol hot. Um, he got in the trunk, they closed the trunk and immediately John's eyes had to adapt to the light and the lack of air and the heat just went up. I mean, it was just like, he could instantly tell why it was an urgent situation for him to get out of there. And he could see how his dad had found the kind of crowbar, tried to Jimmy the, the latch. And then he noticed how his dad had punched out the, the taillight. And then he realized his dad must've tried to reach out with his arm and then press the button. Those BMWs had a button. You just press it and the trunk up opens. And he couldn't reach the button. And he went, well, he was, it was clear to him why. And then he heard his brother's voice on the outside of the trunk go, you're close. You just need to angle your hand in and up, like in a very awkward type uh, contour. And he was able to press the button. And then the trunk opened and in flooded fresh air and life. 
And John said, it was at that moment I realized I would never underestimate the value of an outside perspective. And what I've seen in so many corporations and so many companies and so many leaders who don't fully embrace the opportunity of an outside perspective has. And so, you know, that's why I created Radical Safety. I mean, I, what would a, a skier who skied 135 miles or climb mountains in the Himalayas coming from the neuroscience of performance have to do with the safety space? I mean, we, you and I were at the same conference and you experienced it. I mean, there was an audience there just going, oh, this is pretty good. Like they were, they'd never seen anything like this. They have, it was something that outside perspective that gets traction and people like you and I can leave the campsite better than we found it by just providing that outside perspective. So never and, underestimate the value of an outside perspective is. Yeah. And we, you know, it's, it's great you bring that up because we've all had those moments where maybe it's a five minute conversation with a stranger at an airport and they make some little comment that sticks with you. Right. Right. You think like it keeps resonating and that happens in big ways and little ways when we can get a fresh perspective and get somebody outside our organization. Now, when we were chatting a few months ago, uh, you invited me to go on one of your mountaineering ex excursions and yeah. I've never been mountaineering. Right. And so I think of it as not a solo endeavor. It is a, this is a team sport. And so whether we're in an organization working as a team or we're going on a, a mountaineering expedition, how would you approach getting me ready on the safety aspect? There's a team of us that are going to be climbing this mountain. What, right. what does that entail when you get inexperienced people ascending yeah. a mountain? How do you approach that? Yeah, so to be clear, I only invite people that are novices who've never done anything like this because it's meant to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And so to kind of give you a backstory is I set up a team that I designate people who will watch after this novice all the time. So you have a wingman, if you will, who's, that's what they, they're accredited mountaineers in this part of the world. I also set up a mountain that uh, anybody could summit and get back down without having any mountain climbing experience. Meaning we're not hanging from ropes and carabiners and risking our lives. You know, it's not that at all. It's basically a really hard trek. <laughs> and so I set up the infrastructure where you have the environment that you can, you can then thrive. Given that, then I educate, and what I've found with everybody is educating from as many different angles as I possibly can. So I get the consistent emails once a week. So people don't sign up for these things and go the next week. They'll sign up six, eight months in advance. And in that interim, I'll, I'll repeatedly say, this will be one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. And I've said this hundreds of times. <laughs> and just the other night, uh, we had a, a house guest who, his name is Mike. He'd gone on this, Mike's about 32 years old, young guy, fit. And he said something I've heard over and over and over again. You never told me how hard this would be. <laughs> so, so uh, it's always a head scratcher to me that you can say something, but they didn't hear it. And the way he reframed it, he says, no, you don't understand. This will be the hardest thing you'll ever do. And then Vince says, you'll be fine. <laughs> Which I do say, because you will get back home and you will have your ass kicked, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's a lot about fitness. 
a lot about the mindset necessary. It's a lot about the equipment that you bring because there's so much newness to this whole thing that I give you checklists as anybody in the safety world would, but also I, I come in and augment that with, uh, with two things. One, you're going to have an ex one of the most extraordinary experiences of your life where you get up to a summit and, or get to a mountain. You may not summit because you don't feel like it. I mean, some people just say, I'm going to stay at base camp, knock yourself out. So you have an extraordinary experience that you come back home safely. And second, that you have a story to tell others for the rest of your life. You have a story of uh, yourself. The story is also knowing that you've got within, when you do this, you elevate your, your realm of possibilities because you amplify your realm of possibilities because you, once you do that, you go, gosh, I could do anything. I mean, so it, it becomes the experience of a lifetime for that aspect as well. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's perfect. And when you're out on the mountain, when you're with your crew, what are some of the communication mistakes that you see people making that, you know, maybe we do the same thing in our organization, but they don't have the same consequences when you're trying to summit a mountain. What, what are those big things that stand out to you that you have to watch out for in the team? It, well, let me, let me give you the, the context because when people are pushed to their limit, they are no longer on best behavior. So I've been putting on these, been going on and, and, and hosting these expeditions since 2006. And every single time by day two or day three on the mountain, best behavior has gone out the window and then true colors are exposed. And true colors aren't just negative and aren't just positive, uh, they're true colors. And some people just deep down don't handle stress well, or their true color is that they don't like other people, or their true colors are that they're so caring that they're gonna focus on the other person at their own expense. You know, These true colors are exposed, and if somebody makes a mistake, it's by not addressing that, it's a personal development <laughs> opportunity. I mean, it's, uh, there's a saying that nature is the lazy teacher's classroom, you know? get out in nature and be in a setting where you're stressed uh, physically and emotionally and mentally, and you will start to see parts of your personality. You think, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. I, that can be something I could work on. And I've seen people come address it or ignore it and just come back and not address it. So I'd, I'd say from a leadership standpoint, that that's something that I try and facilitate every night. And so the day is done, we get in the food tent and we're all together in a circle. And that's when I facilitate the conversation. Uh, am I an accredited counselor or you know, no, but I've got three decades of facilitation under my belt that can, can help enrich somebody's self-discovery. And not to be the, the uh, a, lot of, a lot of leaders, especially in a setting like this, may try to manipulate the situation or, or direct it I've had guests uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people join it who just want to sit there and give everybody else advice, right? And it can be really annoying because it's like, well, I don't remember asking for your advice, you know? And then, you know, when people aren't on their best behavior, it bubbles up and all of a sudden it goes sideways. And so there's some uh, tension. And This last expedition, I had an ankle injury two days before we were going to leave. I mean, 
just rolled my ankle and had a tendon issue on the ankle and I had to send them off without me going, right? And one of the people going, I've taken all three of our children. Max, I took him when he was 16. And as a side note, he was being a royal jackass. And I, as a parent, couldn't figure out how to get him to, he hated rules. He hated being able to follow rules. So the, one of the reasons I took him as one of the 10 was for him to be out in mother nature going, uh, you know, with his MO of hating rules and say, let me know how that works out for you, you know? And uh, he, he fundamentally became aware, you know, that, wait a minute, I don't have to fight everything, you know, and there is a certain flow to things that you can engage. So that was a great parenting move, if you will. I took my 16 year old, the uh, youngest, when she was the youngest, when she was 16, uh, she was a dancer, a stud. She was only doing dance. So the agenda there was, hey, get out in nature. And now she's going to see you bowler. She joined the mountain club. I mean, she's just, that's her augmentation of her life experience of dance and filmmaking as well, if you will. And then our oldest, uh, our middle child, but she was older. She was 19 when she went, it was last year. So she was 20, actually, turning 21. And I made her the team leader two days before the trip. Now, what, what's a 21-year-old doing leading a group of adults, you know? But there's uh, another parenting moment. I said, well, into the fry pan, <laughs> from the fry pan into the fire, she was going to learn. And, uh, you know, if I had to be callous about it, I would say she could have done a better job to lead it, but it was her first time. And uh, the group fractioned into two groups and there was the younger people and the older people and they were not talking to each other. I mean, there's, there's a dynamic that needs to be nurtured as you go up the mountain. And so a, a mistake would be not having a, a, a leader with leadership chops, if you will. I'll set out the stage very early. I'll say, everybody is an A type A personality on this trek. All of you are. And so all of you are going to have an opinion and I respect your opinion, but what I say goes, just so you know, I will listen. I'll internalize it. You may grumble about this or that, but when it comes to safety and execution, I'm going to have the final say. Otherwise, you know, uh, you're going to have a tough time <laughs> with this right. trek. And they're all like, okay, got it, got it. Cause they're a little nervous. I go, what am I in for? You know? So, uh, leadership is being able to be very, very clear on uh, facilitating an awesome experience that they can share with others. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect crucible for communication and leadership. I mean, I heard the need to get everybody on the same page every day so resentment doesn't get harbored, so we can, we can be on this together. There's got to be clarity of who is the decision maker, who is in charge. We can still communicate, but somebody has to call the ball. And we have to understand what are the consequences when we aren't in line with what we have to do to achieve the mission. And, and all of that really ties back to communication. I, I think about communication, not just from people too, but our environment communicates with us. And a few years ago, I was in, in Spain and I was at a port terminal at the top of a loading facility, a grain elevator. And we're so used to in the US, it seems like having everything super safe. I mean, guardrails and standbacks and everything you can imagine to create a safe environment. And what I saw there was almost none of that. I mean, it's like, yeah, go on, go up on top. There's no guardrail. That's fine. 
And it's interesting because it's almost like in some environments, introducing that element of danger heightens people's attention. What have you found when it comes to kind of be, being, being cautious to maybe not make things overly safe or overly dumbed down? Is that a part of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's an element of danger when you go in the Himalayas. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, let's say, for example, now you, ha I, I've mentioned earlier, I, I would dedicate uh, a porter or a mountain accredited guide for each person, right? But if you're on a ledge, and uh, you're on a trail, and to your left is an incline, and to your right is a river that's a thousand feet below you, you are acutely aware <laughs> of staying on the trail. And the lessons that come out of that are that it puts people in the moment. Absolutely. For anybody struggling with fears, like what's going to happen to us after this pandemic? What's going to be, an, or any of us struggling with, you know, history that was maybe you're doing a lock-in with somebody that you want to get a divorce from, <laughs> you know, maybe there's all sorts of stuff in the past. Uh, when you are present, it, it, it's so freeing to be able to, to have your attention crystallized at that moment. And that crystallization for some of us might be very new. So I absolutely know that there's moments where they're going to have to really be on the get. We, we do some river crossings where uh, we've, there's trees that have been put over the river so we could cross over the river. And I don't know if you've ever had a raging river underneath your feet while you are, <laughs> while you're, if you fall, you're going to die, right? You're so, and then so I've watched people go across the log <laughs> on their tummy, just going like this. And some just go, okay, stay focused and just doop, 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 go across. So um, there's, a, there's trust that is necessary from the leader's standpoint, knowing that people will be acutely aware in that setting. Trust. And I've taken my kids, you know, I've had my wife take my throat and hold it very tightly and say, if my child is hurt, you will be over. I will end you. <laughs> yes, dear. Okay. You have my attention. <laughs> I was in the moment, you could say. <laughs> so when you translate that to, let's say, uh, you know, our workaday life, the business that we run, the world that we're in, you mentioned we can be fearful of the things that haven't happened yet. Or I think of the regret about thinking about things that had happened that we can't do anything about and the importance of being in the, in the now and how that influences our behavior and our attention and our, even our attitudes. How do we as leaders communicate, recognizing this, there are things that we can be fearful of in the future and there's things that we can be regretful of, but our impact is right now. How do we take that experience of crossing the river in the mountain into the world that we're in? Maybe I'm in a software company or I run a yeah. construction company. You know, it's going to sound trite and cliche, uh, and the initial reaction from our listeners may be, oh, I already do that, but my question will be, are you, do you really do it? And it's trust. When you unequivocally have trust that they know the parameters from which we're going to operate. So if you trust that they've heard that and you trust that they can then act on it, the, the, the net effect is that individual will realize they are trusted and that they have the responsibility. Um, we keep seeing examples today of 
people feeling entitled, you know, uh, somehow it became politicized to wear a mask, you know, this, this entitlement is not about freedom. I mean, there, there's a speaker that I heard, I can't remember his name, but he, he, he talked about the Statue of Liberty. He wanted to put another statue on the West Coast that was the Statue of Responsibility, right? That we're not entitled, that we're responsible for our behavior. We're responsible for the health of other individuals. We're responsible. And that, that kind of... Um, People and people are recoiling from that for this reason, because they don't they aren't they don't feel like they're trusted, right? So I'm going to take my mask off because you don't trust me, right? Well, it's been contorted in a way that it's not you know it, it's it's not political, and it's not that you're not trusted. We just put up a sign that said wear a face mask, right? <laughs> And that we start full circle here. It's that emotional connection to going, I care about people I don't even know. I care that I may transmit or uh, so I may get something transmitted to somebody else's grandparents. I mean, that, that's the, the whole psychodynamic that's happening right now that um, is it's just human nature. And it happens in a business. When people feel trusted, they behave at a higher, they perform at a higher level. It's not about behavioral change. Again, right? We're, the expectations, you put up a sign and we want you to behave this way. What if people performed at a higher level, right? Then you've got long-term sustained impact. Well, and I think that example that you just talked about as we um, re-enter comes back to those three things, right? So someone well-meaning might take on a paternalistic, I'm going to tell you what you have to do which we can do that in our families, we can do that in our businesses, and we're well-meaning, but often we invite resistance, right? People resisting against that. So we can also look at how do we bring examples of people that are trusted, that are outside of maybe our normal communication, that, that expert, that person that we can trust. And then third is how do we connect that emotional buzz that's gonna be meaningful to that person? And so it's a lot easier and a lot quicker if I just come out and say, I'm going to make a law or I'm going to tell people they have to. That's fast, but maybe not as effective as really being mindful of how do we get people to perform at a higher level? And that, that takes trust. Right. Yeah. There's a saying, may you live in interesting times. I think it's a Chinese <laughs> proverb. If, if it isn't, it's a good fallback just saying it's a Chinese proverb. But <laughs> So Vince... We are um, in interesting times. We are in interesting times uh, as long as we know what to do with it. And you think about radical safety, you think about the things that you've shared with us. What's something that as I go about my business, whatever it is that I am doing, that I should keep in mind when it comes to safety and leadership and communication that you really want to hit home on? I would, I would say that, and let me talk to the viewer right now, as, as opposed to a viewer that's leading others and trying to go outside the world, because you can't lead people until you get this concept. And it's, are you the architect for your truth? Meaning, we, we can have a truth that shows up, or we can be the architect for that truth. And so, uh, an example would be, you know, when I started ski racing at 26 years old, I'd never ski raced before. So, at 26, no ski race experience. At 30, I was vying for the gold medal in the Olympic Games in speed skiing. How? 
how did that all transpire? And the thread that runs through that entire story is that I was the architect for the truth that I would march in the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. The conscious mind, in a second of time, uses 2,000 neurons. This is Dr. Lee Poulos's research. In the same second, the subconscious mind is processing with 4 billion neurons. The ratio between the conscious and subconscious mind is an ant and an elephant. The ant is the conscious mind. The elephant is the subconscious mind. The ant can go on the back of the elephant, say we're going to go west, but ends up east because the elephant was headed east. So you can think you're going west, but end up east. The architect of your truth is not about the ant knowing what the truth is you're headed towards. It's the elephant knowing the 4 billion neurons up every second having a truth there. So I'll leave everybody with a little hack, if you will, or a tool. And it's a gold dot. And I put gold dots on my, you can see a gold dot on my cell phone right there. That gold dot is a trigger. And then when I was ski racing, I'm the fastest speed skier in Canada, top 10 in the world. Was it true to the conscious mind? No, because <laughs> I'd never ski raced before or I just started racing or I was at the initial stages, but the gold dot stayed the same. I'm the fastest speed skier in Canada, top 10 in the world. If you have a trigger like a gold dot for that emotional buzz, because the emotional buzz is how extraordinary would it be to march in the opening ceremonies, uh, you'll gravitate to that which you believe to be true. So coming full circle, are you the architect for that truth? And if you're not, identify those. This is what we do with Radical. I just gave you away the company model, so there you go. <laughs> yes, is to have this outside, this, um, this um, gold dot that has an emotional quotient attached to it, that when you see that gold dot, it triggers the emotional buzz. That means there's an alignment of the ant and the elephant, the conscious and subconscious mind, it's an intention that has emotion attached to it, and you'll gravitate to that truth. So therefore, be the architect of that truth, of your truth. Tremendous. So the ant and the elephant, radical safety. Uh, Vince, you put out a lot of information. What are some ways if people want to get in contact or gather more of the stuff that you put out that they can um, stay in contact with you? It's very uh, interesting because, yeah, you could go to my website, vinceposenti.com. You may post it as part of this broadcast, but uh, vinceposenti.com can get you to me. But I found that my business model has changed in the last two and a half months. I was just on the road all the time giving speeches. And now I'm spending time with leaders on the phone doing consulting and coaching uh, it, it's been an opportunity to, to roll our sleeves up and really get stuff done from assisting leaders because I've worked with the FedExes of the world and the Microsofts and, and seen how the very best companies do it and we can assimilate this information together. So, And I've talked to uh, a son of a, of a guy whose 16-year-old son wanted to be an athlete and what could I do? So I ended up talking to these kids. So really I've been reaching out in so many different ways and I, it, it's fun. I mean, so if, if you're listening to this and you need a, a hand with something, let me know, especially when it regards, regards to the neuroscience of performance and getting those outcomes to really stick. Uh, that's my expertise. And I would, I would personally love to hear from uh, you directly. So 
Awesome. We'll get that, uh, your website posted. And uh, hopefully if people want to move to that next level up uh, with their organizations or themselves, uh, they'll reach out to you. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Very insightful and so many lessons that you can learn from the, the edge of where the danger exists that we can get better in our lives and in our worlds. And yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Dean, you do great work. I'm uh, appreciating our friendship that really just started, I don't know, when was that? Before the pandemic, just before it happened, actually, wasn't it? B yeah. B BC, <laughs> before yeah, but, COVID. Before COVID. All right, man. You're doing great work, so keep it up. Thank you so much, Vince. Have a great week. Yeah, you too. 